Hey everyone, welcome to the Coastal Podcast. I'm Pastor Lucas Granger and want to say thank you for listening in. May this podcast bring some light to your world today. Enjoy grace and peace. Hey, uh, in just a second, we're going to read from the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your scriptures with you, take them out. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to read in a moment. Um, This week, I've just been thinking about Nehemiah for the last couple weeks. Nehemiah is kind of like, man, preachers love Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah is just, I mean, it's full of vision. It's full of hope. You open up the book to Nehemiah, and you start seeing some things happen. All of a sudden, there's this dude who's in another land. He gets word from his brother that things aren't looking good in Jerusalem, and his heart breaks. His heart breaks for a people And he starts to pray, and all of a sudden, this dude goes from having nothing. He he, he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any any time. He doesn't have any resources. Then all of a sudden, he's got favor with with this king, and then all of a sudden, the project's paid for. He's got an army on his side. Uh, He's got all the authority to pull this off, and then they head into Jerusalem, and in 52 days, they rebuild a wall. Now, I know by the judge of the response of your face that you don't understand what that means. They built a wall around an entire city in 52 days. Y'all, it took us nine months to get a permit from Brunswick County. (laughs) My man built a wall around a city In 52 days, everyone thought it was impossible. Man, the book of Nehemiah just filled with hope. I mean, slaves being released from their captivity to go back into their homeland. And it's in rubbles. And all of a sudden, the temple's being restored. The walls are being restored. Things are happening. There's there's miracles that are happening. And and, I mean, it's it's just a dream. The, the, the book of Nehemiah, like, man, it's just, I think I've preached Nehemiah 1 vision a bunch of times. I mean, because there's just so much there. But I realized something as I was reading the book this week. I read it a few times, just kind of going over and over it. And, and, and the book's just amazing. But that last chapter, chapter 13, paints a completely different story. See, the whole book, man, there's miracles that are happening, all this amazing stuff. But then you get to chapter 13, and all of a sudden, things start to fall apart. And you're just like, oh, there goes real life. There it goes. So let's read from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Watch what happens. Remember, this is on the heels of all of these miracles. It starts off, verse 1. Now, on the same day... As the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said this, No Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God, for they had not provided for the Israelites with food and with water in the wilderness. Instead, they did this. They hired Balaam to curse them. Though our God turned this curse into a blessing, when this passage of the law was read, all of those 
of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Now, before this happened, Elasab, the priest, who had been appointed as a supervisor of the storeroom of the temple of our God, who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing this, the grain offerings, the frankincense, the very articles of the temple, and the tithes and the grain and the new wine, the olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priest. Now, I was, now this is Nehemiah speaking. I was not in Jerusalem at this time. For I had returned to King Xerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. Now, this is important because when the book starts out into now, 12 years has gone by. 12 years, 52 days building the wall, but 12 years has passed. Nehemiah goes back. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned all about Eliab's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset And I threw all of this dude's belongings out of the room. Come on, my man got evicted. Came back and all of his stuff is on the street. And I demanded that the room be purified. Come on, put some Clorox up in here. And I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offering and the frankincense. I also discovered this, that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, for they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services, had all returned to their fields. So these two things happen. Somebody moves into a room. The Levites return to their fields. And let's skip down to verse 15. In Nehemiah sees something else. And in those days, I saw the men of Judah training out their wine press on the Sabbath. They were also bringing their grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, their grapes, their figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to do this, to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling this produce on the Sabbath. Some men from Tyre and who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in the fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So commerce is taking place. All of this is happening on the Sabbath. Let's skip over to 23. Nehemiah notices something else. Now about that same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half of their children spoke another language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down a curse on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Dang. My man, talk about discipline. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of this land. Wasn't this exactly what led to King Solomon of Israel's sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him. And God loved him and made him king over all of Israel, but even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully towards God by marrying these foreign women? And it goes on, it ends in verse 30 like this. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priest and the Levites, making certain that each one knew his work. 
I made sure that each one knew his work. I also made sure that the supplies of the wood for the altar and the first portion of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O God. Remember this in my favor, O God. So here it is. Nehemiah has done this incredible work for God. The wall's been rebuilt, and, and a lot of time has gone by, 12 different years, and, and Nehemiah's like, hey, I've got to return back to this king because I told him I would return. And so while Nehemiah is gone, things fall apart. That's never happened to any of us before. You've never gone on vacation only to come back and have 57 voicemails, and four people quit, and the dog ran away. Come on. All of these things happening. It's just, it's it's the house that you've been building and dreaming about, and you get into that house, and you're just so excited, and then the washing machine breaks, and then the dryer breaks, and then your contractor didn't do something right, and then that thing breaks, and then you're just like, it's a new house. What is going on with this? I'm not understanding all of these things. It's the retirement. It's that you've worked all of these years, and congratulations, you made it to the beach. But all of a sudden, things start going wrong. People don't show up. Your heart is still longing for rest. Things still break. People are still jerks at Walmart. People still don't know how to drive. All of these things happen, and you're just like, man, I've been waiting for this, been dreaming, all of these things, on the heels of all of these miracles, and, and, and Nehemiah's not alone. You're not alone. I mean, look at Israel. Time after time, I mean, they would literally cross through parted seas on dry land only to start complaining in the desert. Uh, oh, giants, there's no way we could beat those giants. You literally just walk through the sea, and you're worried about these giants. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus taking communion, breaking bread with his disciples, having this most holy, most intimate moments, and literally, like an hour later, Peter's chopping off ears. If you're Jesus, you're just like, have you not learned anything, dude? Like, all of this happened. I see, and, and, and I'm, I'm reading this, and I love it, and I, I think, man, God, Nehemiah 1, the Bible, we, we can preach that, the vision, the hope, but like, this last chapter, this is not how it's supposed to end. Like, God, somehow, like, it's supposed to end with, and they lived happily ever after, Right? We're supposed to say, I do, and then everything's supposed to be, I great. And things, whoa, 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 change really quick. And, and, and I'm, I'm reading this, and I got to tell you, when I read the scriptures, sometimes there's these moments where I get into this zone, and it's almost like I'm just, I'm fully engaged in a movie. Like, my mind just can see the scene, and it's all playing out, and, and, and Nehemiah is returning from this, from this uh, trip that he had in another land, coming back, everything's falling out, just, Nehemiah is just feeling it, and you could just kind of feel the frustration, like, what are you people doing? Like, why, like, and he probably wouldn't say this, but why are y'all so stupid? 
right? You've never had that moment with anyone, right? Just, gosh, what are you doing? Like, and I'm reading, I just kind of see, come on, Israel, what are you doing? Can you see the miracles we've done? And, and I'm reading, and like, and it's almost like a scary movie. And there's these rules, if you've ever seen it, there's certain rules to scary movies. And the number one rule about a scary movie is this. You don't say these words. I'll be right back. Because you're not going to be right back. Whoever says that dies in the movie. You're going to die. And, and kind of like Nehemiah saying that to the people. Listen, you're not going to be right back. Don't you see the pattern? Every time you turn your back on God, every time you stop disobeying the Sabbath, every time you start doing things you're not supposed to do, it goes bad for you, Israel. Do you not see this? Come on, why do you keep acting so foolish? And, and I'm reading this, and, and I'm getting into it. And I'm thinking, God, I could see it. I could see the movie. And then I had this thought. My thought was this. Is this how the angels see us? Do the angels look down on my life like it's a movie that's unfolding and they're just like, Lucas, could you stop being so stupid? Seriously, Lucas, you won't be right back. If you keep doing these things, you're going to die. Look, come on, Lucas, can you not look back and see the pattern how God has saved you time and time and time again? Stop it. And I'm just, oh, no, no, it's okay. I got this. I got this. Do you not see it every time you try and do things in your own strength? And you just feel the patterns emerging over and over can you not look back at your own life and see the dry ground that Jesus has brought you on when the waves should have covered you up? When it should have been the end of you? When the favor came in and you didn't deserve it? All of this in this moment and I read this last chapter, and I think it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to end this way. And then I realize, listen, this, is not, this might be the last chapter of Nehemiah, but it's not the final chapter of the book. Come on. It might be the last chapter, but it ain't the final chapter, because the final chapter of this book is full of hope. The final chapter of this book, man, there's a tree and there's leaves, and there's the healing of the nation, and there's all of a sudden the people of God standing in the presence of God singing holy, 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 and all things culminating together in a new heaven and a new earth, and every tear is wiped away. Oh, and there is a happily ever after. And all of this, and I look and I think, and I realize like that last book is the final nail in the coffin that stops our cycle of stupidity. Right? Because that's over. That's done. And, and, and we don't want to admit it, but man, we get caught in the cycle over and over again of having to do it our way, falling back into that thing. We know it's not good for us, but if I just, oh, no, no, I could get more done on the Sabbath. 
Oh, no, but if we move these things out of that room, then we can make room for some other things. The cycle breaks. And for the next few weeks, listen, the message is simple. Where are you at? Where am I at? Where are we at? Are we on this cycle of just rinse and repeat, struggling with some of these things, some of us 10 years, 15, 20, 20, 30 years into it? You don't have to wait till it's over There's grace available now. There's hope available now in the midst of it. And Nehemiah is dealing with some of these things. And I don't know about you, but I just, I want to be part of a people that take the promised land. I I don't want to be one that dies in the desert. I don't want to be one that, well, because this giant is so big, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes. Man, no. Look back. Remember everything that God has done for you. And it's available now. And here's here's what I want to get into us. It's not just about rebuilding the walls. Rebuilding the walls is fun. But it's learning about how to rebuild the walls and then live and dwell in that place without forgetting. Because that's a challenge. See, they rebuilt these walls in 52 days. See, but but the challenge is to live inside the wonder. The challenge is to live inside the awe. The challenge is to live in the place where, yeah, where we've been at the transfiguration on the top of the mountain, but still have that same awe when God brings us down into the valley. To still have that same awe and that same wonder that when you, you, you brought that baby home from the hospital, as when you're changing those diapers. See, that's a different kind of wonder, a different kind of awe. See, it's one thing to worship on the mountaintop. It's another thing to worship in the valley. It's one thing to worship when we're on the other side of it and we're given the testimony. It's another thing to worship when we're in the middle of the test, when things haven't worked out yet, when the cycle continues to not sulk in the mud every time we get a threatening letter to not want to return to Egypt every time the sun gets hot. Because the reality is, when the new wears off, the maintenance kicks in. And all of these rules that they're talking about and that they've read from the book of Moses and everything that they have to do, there's the reality, hey, we've built the wall, now we actually have to live into it. We have to live into everything that God's calling us to do. I mean, maintenance (laughs) isn't the most exciting thing. Like, hey, right now we could get super excited about certain things. No one's getting, like, super excited about an electric bill. But we like these lights. Come on. The lights turn off all of a sudden. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who didn't pay that bill? And there's maintenance. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose the wonder. I don't want to lose the awe. I I, I don't want to end up 80 years old and bitter. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You guys got some of those neighbors. Like, bro, you live at the beach. Like, come on, this ain't Jersey. You moved here for a reason. This is amazing. It's February and you had shorts on the other day. And you're complaining. Like, just shut up. Like, is that okay? Like, you know you're thinking it. Or it's you're the one that's saying it and someone needs to say it to you. One of the two. 
right? To not, to not lose the wonder and the awe. Chris Stanley, who was playing bass, he tells the story, and it's just, it's one of those stories that's gotten into my heart. He said, you know, if you know Chris's story, he was healed from stage four cancer. And he tells the story of after he was healed from stage four cancer, he'd go and he'd, he'd be at Walmart or some of these stores, and, uh, and he'd be in these long lines, and people would be mad and frustrated. He said, I'm just happy to be in the line. I'm just happy to be breathing in the line right now. And for whatever reason, like that has stuck with me for like 30 years now. <laughs> but that's been my prayer. God, may I just be grateful for the line. May I be, just be grateful that we have somewhere to go on Sunday morning and there's a chair to sit in and the air conditioner's working. May I be grateful for everything that's around me. Like, I don't want to lose this gratitude because Chris says, listen, like, I, I, it's a fight. It's a fight to keep, keep, keep myself understanding that. He says, because I could lose it. I lose it all the time. I lose that wonder. I lose the awe of what God's done for me. And I'm just, then I just join in with the rest of the crowd and start complaining about the line. Does anyone else relate? Am I, just, am I by myself this morning? Like, do y'all just like, no, you're perfect? Man, come on, y'all. I don't know what church y'all showed up to this morning. Daily. It's a fight not to slip into the attitude of complaining. It's a fight not to slip into a life of mediocrity. It's a fight not to slip into laziness. It's a fight not to slip into sin. Come on. Paul says, I crucify my flesh daily. Crucifying flesh is a fight. And if we're not actively engaged in it, we will slip off into mediocrity. We will slip off into sin, and that's exactly what has happened right here in the book of Nehemiah. Miracles have happened, but there's four particular things that Nehemiah is addressing. One, the high priest has done this. He's moved into bias. Two, the Levites have returned to the field. Three, the people are ignoring the Sabbath. And four, the men are beginning to marry outside of the law and take foreign wives. Four things happening all in this time that he was gone and coming back. And what's interesting is there's a progression here because it starts with the leadership. It starts with the high priest. And what seems innocent enough really isn't innocent at all. He seems like he's just opened up a room to help a brother out. Hey, listen, we got this storeroom, and listen, I can move some of these things out to buy, and you can move in. Seems harmless enough. No, this is a huge deal. This is a sin against God. He moves this guy into the storeroom. This is a huge problem. Why? A few different things. One, he's forgotten what the, the purpose of this room is for. He's forgot the purpose of this room. And when the people of God lose their purpose, worship ceases. And when worship ceases, commerce is the new God of the day. And when commerce is the new God of the day, you will begin to fall in love with things that you were never meant to fall in love with. Every time. And not only has it lost its purpose, the guy that they've moved into it, this is the same Tobias that earlier on in the scripture is totally opposing the project, who's sending threatening letters to them, 
who's causing curses upon Israel. And not only that, it says this, uh, what we just read at the beginning, that the book of Moses was read and there was this law. And the law was this, that no Ammonite or Moabite should be ever permitted to enter this assembly. This is from Deuteronomy 23 when this thing has happened with Balaam and they're causing You know who Tobias is? He's an Ammonite. So not only have they not just permitted him to enter the assembly, but they've given him residence in the assembly. They've cleared out a storehouse, and they've made the house of God an Airbnb for a man who threatened the people of God, who was totally opposed to them, and who by law was not allowed to even enter. How does this happen? How do you fall this far? And I'm here to tell you, it's actually more simple than you think. They lost their purpose. They lost their purpose. And when you lose your purpose, you will be surprised at what you'll let in. When you lose your purpose, you'll, surpri- you'll be surprised at the things you let into your home. You'll be surprised at the places you'll start going, places you never thought you'd go that you shouldn't be. You'll start saying things that you should have never been saying that you thought you would never say because you've lost your purpose. You've lost the reason why God put you here for. All of these things happen. And you see this pattern over and over again in Scripture. You see this with the younger prodigal son who's lost his purpose. And it wasn't to the point where he's, he's lived the high life and how he's amongst the pigs eating the slop and then he came to himself. See, he never thought he would find himself in this place, but he has. Why? He lost his purpose. It's not just him. It's not just his prodigal. Oh, it's David. It's the man after God's own heart. See, we know the story of David, and we know some of the the sins of David and what he did with Bathsheba and and how he, he sent a dude to his death with his own letter in his hand. Killed one of his mighty men. But you know how it started? It says this in the scriptures. It says this, and at the time when kings go to war, David stayed home. He lost his purpose. He was never supposed to be on that rooftop to begin with. See, when, when, when we just kind of let it slip in, when you're supposed to be at war and you're at something else, when, when you've lost the purpose of this storeroom, when you forget what God's put you, man, you'll be surprised at what you'll let in. What have you let in to your house? What Tobias have we let in to our house? See, sometimes it's not just a person. Sometimes bitterness moves in. Sometimes anger moves in. Sometimes fear moves in. And it sets up residency. And we say, oh, it's not that bad because we've lost our purpose. And all manners of evil and all manners of lust come along with it. See, you have got to absolutely have a clear why, a clear purpose, a clear calling of God. Because if you don't, someone else will define it for you. Someone else will say, hey, we can make this storeroom fill in the blank. We can make this storeroom, hey, some other venue. I have some friends that gave me a call a couple weeks ago and said, Pastor Lucas, you know, God's provided these things for us, and we have this vision of opening up a, a place, uh, a wedding venue where, 
we could do weddings and all of these type of things, and, and where we live at and the state that we live in, there's all of these laws. And so we have all of these reservations about going ahead with it because if we go ahead with it, there's certain weddings that we, we, we are against our beliefs that we don't want to perform, but by the law of the state, we're going to have to allow these weddings to happen on this venue, and we're just not sure what to do. And then and, and, and started talking about the situation, and, and my question to them was very simple. as Is God called you to do this? Is this the call that God has told you to do? Because the reality of this situation is things are going to happen and you are going to be misunderstood and there's going to be a million and one questions that are really, really tough that only you can answer. And if you don't have a clear, solid why and a clear purpose of the calling of God on your life to do this thing, you're going to second guess yourself every five minutes. You're going to be depressed before you know it and you're going to wish you never did it. So you need to know that you know that this is what God is calling you to do, why it exists, why you're doing what you're doing. Otherwise, something else will move in and you will be miserable. And the same is true for each one of us. We have to have a rock solid why God has called us to do this. Because listen, no matter what you do, if you do anything for God, there is going to be some opposition. There's going to be some Tobiases. There's going to be some, some Sambas. And if they can't break down the work that God that's called you to do, they're going to move into the storehouse. And this hurts because sometimes we think the opposition is just on the outside, but the truth is sometimes the opposition is on the inside. And there's no hurt like the hurt that comes from the people that you thought were supposed to be for you. It'll hurt you deep into your bones. You will get stabbed in the back. There will be a Judas that sells you out for some pocket change. That's just the reality of the Christian life. And if you don't know that you know that you know, you ain't going to make it. I don't know how else more plainly to say it. I read these words the other day that Henry Nouwen wrote. He said, until your desert of solitude becomes your, well, till, till your I'm sorry, until your desert of loneliness becomes your garden of solitude, you ain't ready. And you see that in the life of Jesus all the time. He's constantly getting away to be by himself. Maybe what you call loneliness, God is actually calling solitude to get something in you that only he can get in you, to prepare you for something that only he has prepared you for. So whenever the Sam Ballots and the Tobiases and the things throw all their weapons against you, you'll see it for what it is. No, 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 I cannot come down off of this wall. I'm busy doing the work of God. To not lose your purpose, to not lose the wonder when things start to even out. Because here's the thing about the storehouse. They had to clean it out. They had to remove all of the items that God told them to put in there to begin with. Uh, there, there, there's actually a pretty good list of those items. Things like frankincense, 
Things like olive oil, the grain offerings, the offerings of the people to God that were stored in sacred containers have now found themselves in the hallway. It seems like nothing on the surface. Oh, no, no, no. This is a reflection of their heart. It's a reflection of their heart. The best flowers, the, the best grains, the, 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 the sacrifice of the people, all of these containers moved out, and the enemy of the people of God has moved in. And, and, I, and I find it interesting that a couple of these things, like uh, uh, the oil, often in the scriptures is representing of the anointing. And this is the part where, man, if I had enough time, I would preach this. Moving the anointing out so we can move entertainment in. The frankincense, which is a representation of the deity and the holy of God, holiness of God. Moving that out so we could take its place. So we could fill it with something else. See, anytime you lose your purpose, I guarantee you something else is taking its place. And oftentimes here in America, we serve at the throne of entertainment. We serve at the throne of well, what's best for us and the throne of preference. Man, I, I got a TV in every room in my house, it feels like. I don't even really like TV. Why do we have so many of them? But we do, because that's what you do, right? My garage, before we moved into this house, I couldn't park in that garage because it was just junk. The thing that it was intended for, I couldn't even fit my car in there anymore. As some of y'all know what I'm talking about, because half of y'all in this room can't put your car in your garage either. Because you got a bunch of junk that you need to give to the Goodwill. You don't even know what's in there. You could be walking out to a nice warm car in the morning, but no, you're freezing out because you moved some junk into the house. It's not just the garage. I don't want to lose the wonder. I don't want to lose the precious hope. Just close your eyes with me for a moment. Worship team, come up. When the people of God lose their purpose, worship ceases, and the Levites go back to the field. Commerce becomes the new God of the day, and we're buying and selling on the Sabbath, and we ignore the rest that God's called us to enter into. And then we marry things and fall in love with things that we've never we're called to fall in love with. Have you lost your wonder this morning? It could lead you back to the place where you find your purpose. Have we moved something out and moved something else in its place? Maybe that thing that we've moved in 
is the enemy. Church, have we forgotten our purpose? Maybe it's time that we, like Nehemiah, do what he did, do what he did to Tobias. And we throw all that mess out of that room. Bitterness, you have no place here no more. Anger, you gotta go. Resentment, unforgiveness, your home is here no longer. This is the storehouse for God. Bring your oil again, Lord. Bring the sweet perfume of your fragrance into my heart again. Teach us how not to just celebrate on the mountaintop, Lord, but to live in the drudgery of the valley day in and day out in the maintenance of it all, celebrating, remembering, not forgetting that God, we've walked through some dry ground time and time again, and he who began a good work will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. And so Lord, your people repent. We repent, God. And so we turn back to you this morning. Reveal to us. Cleanse us. <laughs> Just like Nehemiah cleansed that room. Why don't you do it with your blood? Your precious blood. Mm. If you're in the house today and you don't know him, May today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day that you give up trying to do it your own way. And the angels look down from heaven right now and say, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the right way. That's how you're supposed to do it. His way so much better. Break that cycle today because there's hope now. And even right now, as you turn and walk back home, may you find that the Father is already running down the road towards you. If that's you and you're in the house and you know you just need to get right with Jesus with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand real high in the air where I can see it. I just wanna pray a prayer with you today. Just a prayer of repentance and invitation. there anybody in the house? All right. I'm asking everyone to stand with me. Please, just for the next couple moments, tempted to move around. Let's just treat this moment as just a sacred container. These next two minutes as a sacred container where it's just you and Jesus, as Alan leads us into worship. Well, we hope this podcast has blessed you. In case you didn't know, we are in the middle of renovating a brand new facility right here in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So listen, two things. Please take a moment and pray for us. 
Also, if you'd like to give to the ministry, sign on to the website at mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Grace and peace.